You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. I'm not going to freak out. I'm not. I'm going to be super chill, very patient, not going to overreact to anything. I'm definitely not going to freak out about Justin Fields scoring two touchdowns, looking amazing. A little bit of a rough start. Nobody remembers that. Let's, uh, let's, uh, uh, okay, I'm going to take it easy. I'm going to relax. I'm going to be patient. I'm not going to overreact to the preseason. I make fun of people when they do that. And yet here I am, Courtney Cronin, freaking out. Oh, my goodness. It's Spade and Fitz. Happy Monday. First Monday of the Justin Fields era in Chicago. You can feel it already. It feels good, doesn't it? It's ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Courtney Cronin filling in for Fitz tonight, probably because it, it just hurt him too much to spend all night talking about how Justin Fields is so great. Just jealous of, of my quarterback situation and my team. Uh, let's get into it. It's time for Straight Talk, brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. Courtney, are you going to talk me off the ledge or are you going to follow me onto it? I'm going to try to keep you in wise mind. Uh, that's okay. what we learn in therapy, okay. where we're not too high, we're not too low, mm, we're not freaking out way too much about the preseason. But I will let you have your moment. I thought about you when I was on air yesterday and we were freaking out about Justin Fields. I was like, I wonder if Sarah actually watched the entirety of a Bears preseason game. I sure did. I, I figured you would, and I figured that you were probably having an epic Saturday afternoon after that slow start by Justin Fields in, in the second quarter. But, you know, there's a lot of good to take away from that. And I spoke with some people around the Bears organization the last few days and they're mightily pleased by the way that Justin Fields performed in those preseason joint practices that they had last week with the Miami Dolphins. I can think back to that red zone period that everybody was freaking out about uh, on Thursday. But no, I mean, he had a good outing. And I don't know if it's too soon to re- to overreact or at least bring up the point that maybe Matt Nagy has a decision he needs to alter with whether Andy Dalton's going to play week one or if it's going to be Justin Fields. But if things continue in this path, I think that that might actually be something we're talking about on this show two weeks from now. Spain and Fitz were presented by Progressive Insurance. I'm hearing the same things, and I think they stick with Andy Dalton. I think no matter what they see from Justin Fields in the preseason, there's a real concern about the pressure on a quarterback in this particular market. They are very high on him. And I will say from the sources I've talked to, that jumped exponentially after seeing those those workouts against the Dolphins. And then, of course, the outcome of that first preseason game that he played in. He was a little slow to start. It was, of course, against another team in the preseason, practicing and working on things, potentially second and third guys. We, we don't want to hold this up as the equivalent to playing a regular season game. But based solely on those practices with the Dolphins before he even set foot on the field for preseason, there was already a leap in expectations for this guy that they were very high on already. That being said, Courtney, there is a risk to a team that's been looking for a franchise quarterback their entire existence, putting a guy out there not ready to succeed. And part of that is the offensive line, the system and everything else. So I think Dalton is definitely starting week one, probably one through three. Uh, We will see how his performance affects how quickly Justin Fields goes in, but it's an inevitability by week four or so that he will be taking over. In fact, after the first uh, preseason debut for Justin Fields, he said this about the speed of the game. 
It was actually kind of slow to me, to be honest. Uh, you know, I think, you know, I, I was expecting it to be a little bit faster, but, you know, practicing, you know, game speed, going at it with my teammates every day. And, of course, you know, we have a great defense. So uh, me going against them every day, um, it, it definitely slowed, slowed the game up a, a little bit for me. So, um, I mean, I, I felt comfortable out there. And um, I just, you know, I, of course, I have room to grow. So I'm just going to try to get better each and every day. Now, a lot of people jumped on that, didn't listen long enough to hear him mention how much it's the Bears' great defense that's gotten him ready. Also worth noting, in his preseason debut, he had 3.8 seconds to throw. It was the longest of any, and he had zero sacks taken. So he felt like it wasn't going too fast, and the statistics bear that out as well. Of course, Peanut Tillman, one of my favorite all-time Bears, was on Sunday morning, and he talked about how doesn't matter how it looked so far. You do need to keep in mind that you can't rush this rookie into a bad situation. Well, I know what people want. Um, I honestly think it's a disservice if you put Justin Fields up there too early. I mean, we know he's the future of the franchise quarterback. He's not going anywhere. You don't have to rush it. I'm not saying he needs a red shirt here, but, you know, kind of let him let – him, don't just throw him in the fire. You know, I, I think teams can do a, a player a disservice by just throwing him out there way too soon. Fletch agrees uh, on that point for sure. What do you think, Courtney? Because you're in camps all the time yeah. trying to figure that stuff out. I think that Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace learned from their mistakes of 2017 in the development process with Mitchell Trubisky and the fact that, you know, they didn't really have a choice because they had to start him first-round pick, right, the whole thing. But they, they learned from that experience, which was four, four, five seasons ago now, and they don't want that to happen again with someone like Justin Fields. Right, different guy, though, to be fair. Di- I mean, compl- the, the ability. But the development aspect, I think, is what yeah, you have to look into Yeah, the size of the program, all of that is very sure. different. And with Justin Fields, why, why rush this when you have a – very capable quarterback in Andy Dalton, who you just paid, you know, quite a bit of money to, who will eventually become your backup. There's no harm in slow playing this for a couple of weeks. Now, the record might reflect the the Chicago Bears needing to turn to Justin Fields sooner rather than later, just in terms of people also trying to keep their jobs beyond the 2021 season. That's obviously factored into it. But rushing him out there does you no no service, especially if you feel behind the scenes, the stuff that you're seeing every day that media members covering practice aren't privy to, that maybe he's not ready just yet. And, and I know that speed of the NFL comment is making the rounds everywhere, but the one thing I take away from that is the leadership of that mm-hmm. comment. When he's talking about you know giving props to his defense – that sits well on the other side of the locker room for sure. They heard that being like, yeah, like we are, you know, really darn good unit. And our quarterback, the guy who is eventually going to be the leader of this team, he makes note of that. And I think that that was not a mistake on Fields' part. I think that was deliberate and, and a very smart thing to do. And the confidence, right? That's what you want to hear from a rookie. Not that he would come out there and be boastful or braggadocious in a way that's going to, you know, get him in trouble, but that he could be honest and say that. You mentioned Andy Dalton, and it's Bain and Fitz, by the way. Courtney Cronin filling in for Fitz on ESPN Radio. Um, Andy Dalton twice has passed the 4,000-yard mark in his career during his third season and again in 2016. The Bears do not have a single quarterback in their history with a 4,000-yard season. So they finished the entire 16-game era of football. Now we're in 17 games. We'll see if that helps them. But the idea that Andy Dalton is such a disaster, and again, he's been on some pretty bad teams recently, so it's hard to, to, to dictate how well he'll fare here. But 
I'm okay with patience. I, I don't want, like you said, for the record to get you know, behind the eight ball because they're insistent on waiting on fields. But I also don't want to rush them in there because we're so excited. I think Andy Dalton will do just fine early on until they're looking in practice every day and saying it's it's honestly impossible for us not to make the switch. Uh, the teammates will know that. The people that are there every day will know that. And that's when it'll be time. So you won't be hearing me alongside some of the other folks yelling and screaming that he's got to be out there week one. I, I, I We have waited long enough in Chicago yeah. that I do not want the potential future of the franchise, first ever real franchise QB since the Sid Luckman days, to be spoiled because we're too impatient. That's how and I you, feel about and it. And you know, like, I mean, week one, Justin Fields and the comment about the speed of the game, right. it's going to be very, very different when Aaron Donald Aaron is trying Donald. to eat you alive. So <laughs> exactly. I think he knows that. Obviously, the coaches know that, and they're going to take that into consideration of whether he is truly, truly ready to be out there when it actually matters. Well, and for all the time I just talked about that Justin Fields got in that first uh, preseason debut, that's not necessarily indicative of a great offensive line situation for the Bears. They have a ton of issues there right now as they continue to swap guys in and out with uh, injuries to guys that they thought were going to be starters there and picking up veterans. you got to see how much they have left. So um, if that needs some time as well, go ahead and have Andy Dalton behind there. Um Justin Fields obviously better on the move than Andy Dalton, the very mobile quarterback, but uh, I, I don't want him back there picking up bad habits because of an offensive line that isn't isn't solid yet. So I'm cool with patience there. Speaking of patience, you guys have waited a while for us to talk about other quarterbacks that we got a chance to see this preseason. So we're going to do it. That was Straight Talk brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. No contract, no compromise. More week one of the NFL's preseason and some other rookie QBs that had us ooing and eyeing. It's coming up next. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. I can hear you at home. You're like, hey, hey, Spain, there were 10 rookie quarterbacks that made their pro debuts in week one of the preseason. You spent a whole segment talking about Justin Fields. I'm not going to apologize. Been waiting, been waiting a long time for this guy. And I did finish the segment by calmly stating that I'm willing to be patient about him starting for the Bears. So I'm keeping myself under control. I'm keeping wise mind, as Courtney Cronin would say. She's filling in for Fitz tonight here on Spain and Fitz. ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. Guests going to join us on the Goodyear Hotline. Got some good ones tonight. Going to some training camps. We'll also talk to Olympians April Ross and Megan Rapino. Brought to you by my computer career training for a better life. But let's get back to some of those other quarterbacks that we got our first pro look at. And I'll tell you, Zach Wilson is one, Courtney, based on where he was drafted. There were so many question marks about why the Jets were so sold on Zach Wilson. He was six of nine passing, 63 yards, seven yards per attempt, an 86.8 passer rating. Um, You know, there wasn't a lot to see when he was out there. They were really run heavy, but he he had some good connections with some of his receivers. And early look, uh, he looked comfortable, according to our Jets reporter, Rich Semini, who was on game day. Yeah, he looked really comfortable out there. Uh, you know, it was two long series. Uh, he was really good on third down. He hit three third down passes. I think that's what impressed uh, the Jets coach, Robert Sala, the most. And, uh, you know, it was he stayed on script. He just looked, you know, comfortable is the word I keep thinking of. And he was had some, you know, uneven practices. You know, he had a handful of practices leading up to that game that were kind of shaky. Um, not bad by any means, but just shaky, making some bad decisions. And so I think there was some curiosity coming into this game to see how he would do. And I thought he did everything the way he was supposed to. He just looked like he fit the part. 
Same for you, Courtney. I mean, it's such a small sample size. I'm yeah. sure they want to see more. And yet, Greeny still des- described him as his favorite person in the world and decided to start sing- writing a song for him today. So I guess it was enough for him. <laughs> I think the thing people look at here is such a small sample size and say, well, what's the big deal? I mean, Ty Johnson and Michael Carter combined for 12 carries during those two series that Wilson was under center. So it wasn't like you got to see that much. But those third down throws, the one that I think of is that laser that he threw to Corey Davis. That stands out in my mind because that's a timing and an anticipation throw. And when you have somebody who was slow to get into training camp, remember, he missed time because of the contract dispute when they were Mm -hmm. trying to get that worked out. And having him now learning the playbook and getting up to speed, like there wasn't that much that was not vanilla on Saturday, but I think the way that he looked, that pocket presence and that poise is something that you can build on now when he gets out there because he's the presumptive starter. It's not a situation like with Justin Fields right. and Andy Dalton where you're wondering, all right, is Fields, you know, week two, week three, is it going to be later than that? We know with Zach Wilson, it's week one, just has not been verbalized yet. And so you want to see him get those reps and you want to get a better glimpse of what he's going to look like from the start. And if you can pull from this, I think you're going in cautiously optimistic if you're a Jets fan that things are going to be okay with Zach Wilson. It feels like we also know Trevor Lawrence's future as starter for the Jags, but there are some question marks because of issues of protection. And there are even some who are saying that the conversation about it being a Gardner Minshew, Trevor Lawrence QB battle isn't a faux one meant to make him earn his spot, but more so about what the team feels is best for their superstar young QB, Trevor Lawrence. Jeremy Fowler, ESPN senior NFL reporter, was on SportsCenter AM talking about how the team has viewed Lawrence's camp. Now let's go to the Jaguars, Trevor Lawrence. I'm told the Jaguars were very pleased with his poise overall throughout camp, and that showed on a key third down throw to Marvin Jones where he hung in the pocket for three, four seconds and delivered the ball on time. And I'm told Jacksonville is downright giddy privately about what they have with Lawrence. They feel he's been as advertised as the number one overall pick. Now, Urban Meyer likes Gardner Minshew a great deal, so I know they're sort of selling a quarterback competition. But talking to people around the league, they expect Lawrence to be the guy because maybe Jacksonville simply wants him to earn the job based on perception. All right, that's certainly one point of view. We'll hear a different one later about how it may be wise to have him held back while they figure out some of those issues of protection. Obviously, that lack of protection and going conservative on the playbook kind of prevented us from seeing too much from a guy that we saw a lot from in college, just six of nine passing 71 yards, almost eight yards per attempt, took two sacks and about a 90% passer rating. You take away anything from this, or do you need to see more, Courtney? Because I definitely need to see more knowing what I know about him at the college level. Yeah, and I think what Jeremy said, the ability to hang in the pocket, like that is a skill that he came in with that not every rookie quarterback is going to have. And especially if your offensive line is a little shaky, you might be more worried about the pass protection and how that's going to fare for your young quarterback than anything else. You know, he coughed up the ball on one of the sacks that he took. So the fumble and the ball security, that's something I was a little concerned about. But then again, the quarterback who got the most time in Jacksonville on Saturday was C.J. Beathard. More time than Trevor Lawrence, more time than Gardner Minshew. So I think if we really are looking at a situation where Minshew could be starting week one just to give Trevor Lawrence more time to get comfortable and also you know more time for Jacksonville to figure out what it's doing on offense – 
it might not be the worst case scenario. I just, I think Urban Meyer's comments last week made it sound like it's an Ohio State quarterback competition. And they're going to take the, the last names off the back of the jersey and make this like a college atmosphere. That's the thing that didn't sit well with me. But if they're really doing it to actually help Trevor Lawrence development, I, I think that could be okay. Trevor Lawrence, obviously a guy that they have extremely high hopes for and a guy that they expect to have in there. If not week one, because of that protection, it'll be very shortly thereafter. Although I still think in the end, they're going to lean toward wanting to have him out there first. There is a conversation to be had about how much Urban Meyer knows about having a team with that kind of suspect uh, front line. Uh, certainly not anything he had to deal with at the collegiate level. It's Spain and Fitz, Courtney Cronin filling in. Last one here. We've we've got uh, Trey Lance, who provided probably the best, most exciting highlight of any of the guys that we saw in their debut, debut, but also had a lot of nerves and a lot of bad plays. He was 5 of 14 for 128 yards, took four sacks, but still had a 93.7 passer rating. Um, this is what uh, Jeremy Fowler said on SportsCenter AM about uh, Trey Lance and his debut. You saw the deep ball, and that's what they like, and that's what Lance has had as a separator in his back pocket. I'm told he's thrown that deep ball well all camp, probably better than Jimmy Garoppolo. Garoppolo is still clearly the favorite right now. He's had a pretty good camp, and they want to bring Lance along according to their plan, but you didn't see him run much last night. That's probably because they didn't want to get him hurt, but in camp they've had a lot of design runs for him. They've worked on his footwork as a passer. Now they're implementing him in sort of the total overall offense, and they want to maybe use him in some packages running the ball during the season. So uneven start but you saw the deep ball, that's good for him. Courtney, they don't want to get him hurt. They also don't want to give anything away because even if Garoppolo is their starter, they have already said flat out, we are going to use Trey Lance in our offense. And if he comes out as a running play or as, as you know, on a specialty play, they don't want to show any of that in the preseason. No, and that's the reason. Like preseason, you keep your your offense as vanilla and as boring as possible. And it's cool to see that 80-yard strike that he had in his debut, but – Jimmy Garoppolo, in my opinion, has the leg up, whether it's temporarily or whether it's for a few weeks in the regular season. That's fine. It's only going to be a matter of time before Trey Lance takes over. Again, a situation where you don't want to rush that for very obvious reasons. Yeah, I I do think that with Trey Lance in particular, massive upside. He's a guy, though, that having seen that little bit of college and now we're going to see a little bit here, I think give him the time as long as you've got a guy in Jimmy that's obviously an excellent quarterback who could take you very far if he stays healthy. I don't I don't see the need to rush Trey Lance, um, mainly because you do see the downfalls of his limited experience, um, and, and you can see such a bright future for him if you can give him the time to get ready. Uh, we're going to get to uh, other quarterback news, but first, we're going to go camping. We're going to check in on a bad team that has a lot of intrigue. Coming up next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Lots of conversation about Trevor Lawrence. Lots of conversation about protection for Trevor Lawrence, especially after we saw Joe Burrow last year get a very rude awakening uh, entering the NFL from the Bengals front line. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Courtney Cronin filling in for Fitz on ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. So joining us to talk about all things Jags, Mike Dempsey, 1010XL in Jacksonville, Mike, obviously so much conversation. Oh, how could I forget? You have to hear the amazing song for our camping. Hello, mother. Hello, father. Here I am at Camp Granada. Camp is very entertaining. Let's go camping with Spain and Fitz. 
Yeah, we're determined to hear that song 32 times before the season starts. How can I rob us of that opportunity? Mike, let's talk about the preseason debut for Trevor Lawrence. Didn't get to see a ton, and of course now lots of concerns about protection, but nothing that you haven't seen in, in, in training camp and that you weren't expecting, right? Well, you never know because training camp fools you. You go up against your own guys, and I can't tell you how many times in the past 12 years we've tried to convince ourselves in Jacksonville that things are going to change this year because look at what a great job so-and-so is doing, only to have them go up against another team, and then you find out, well, maybe that standard's not going to be good enough, and it certainly wasn't good enough against Cleveland's backups the other night. Trevor Lawrence getting sacked on the first play. So it's got to be a concern. Uh, I don't have really that many concerns about Trevor Lawrence himself. It wasn't you know, an eye-popping performance, but he checked a few boxes, you know, in terms of poise and, and things like that. But, uh, yeah, the offensive line protection is going to be an ongoing issue unless they get it shored up. Do we think, Mike, that that's what Urban Meyer might have been alluding to or maybe some of the undertones and what he was saying about a week ago that he wasn't going to commit at this point to name Trevor Lawrence the Jaguar starter? Is there a possibility that the reason behind that is because he doesn't want to throw his potential franchise quarterback out there to get hurt behind an offensive line that you know has had ups and downs? Now, I think this is an Urban Meyer psychological kind of ploy, you know, to make sure that everybody feels like they've earned their spot. And he can point to it as long as he's a Jaguars coach. Look, I put Trevor Lawrence through this. I can put you through this. Certainly, you're not the number one overall pick. Uh, because what is the alternative, ladies? I mean, are you not going to play Trevor Lawrence in his rookie season because you're worried about the protection? Now, if he's out there getting crushed every week, maybe that becomes a different story. But they didn't draft him number one overall to just like Gardner Minshew uh, continue as a starting quarterback. We all, everyone in Jacksonville thinks it's a farce that they're listed as co-starters right now on the depth chart, and nobody expects that to be the case when the season rolls around. In fact, Urban Meyer himself said today and after the game he would have liked to have had his starters, meaning the guys that were in at the beginning of the game, go even longer to kind of work out some of the kinks. So I do think internally he looks at Lawrence and knows in his heart of hearts that he will be starting for him this season, but I think he's still playing that you've got to earn everything you get kind of game right now. There are some, and we're talking to Mike Dempsey of 1010 XL in Jacksonville, who might argue that maybe Trevor Lawrence shouldn't be the automatic starter if protection is going to be a concern. Maybe let that offensive line gel a little bit more, figure itself out before, and that's why they're holding up this Gardner Minshew competition as legit. Do you think that's a good idea, or does it seem inevitable that Trevor Lawrence is going to be thrust into action regardless of how that line looks? I think it's inevitable because, you know, when you talk about this line gelling, they all played together last year, right? So, I mean, I don't know how much more gelling – they really could have. The, the guy to keep an eye on is Walker Little, the second-round pick out of Stanford, who hasn't played much football in the last two years. He had a torn ACL, then he was a COVID opt-out last year. He's really impressed in camp, and there's been a lot of questioning about whether or not he would push Cam Robinson out of the left tackle spot. After the other night, we're wondering if he's going to start to get some reps on the right side because Jawan Taylor looked a little bit shaky. So, I, again, I think you're at the point. I don't know what you can do. I don't think you can put your franchise guy in bubble wrap. I mean, you can get hurt at any point. So I think you you try to develop that chemistry in the offensive line as best you can. But I fully expect when the season rolls around in Houston on September 12th that Trevor Lawrence will be under center. We've all seen it. 
the viral video of Tim Tebow <laughs> trying to block <laughs> that um, <laughs> makes you really question uh, how difficult it is to pick up a new position at the other when you're on the other side of 30 and that it's right. not that easy. What's the conversation around the Jags today and, and after that? I know that you know there might be some people who I saw a great tweet from a former player saying, yeah, I would, that would be a plus if it was a running back doing that uh, and kind of just laying his back into him. But how much longer do you think this charade, if you want to call it, with Tim Tebow as a tight end is going to keep up? Well, I think he has a chance to make it on the practice squad simply because of the liberalized practice squad rules. Now you can carry 16, and I believe it's a half dozen, that it doesn't matter how much service time they have. In terms of making the team right now, he is probably sixth out of six at tight end, and he's battling at best for the last spot with Ben Ellison and Tyler Davis. Two guys are by far not household names, so he's got a long way to go. I mean, look, I think – the the gift Urban Meyer gave him was the opportunity, but I don't think Urban Meyer is going to put him on the 53-man roster if he shows he's not one of the better uh, options at that tight end position because the guys in that locker room are going to know it. I think they have respect for Tim Tebow about the way he goes about his business, but, I mean, clearly we saw the other night he has not made the transition yet, and it's tough to expect him to at 34 to play tight end for the first time. Uh, it's been impressive that he's been able to make it this far, but I don't think anybody realistically thinks he's going to be on the 53-man roster down here in Jacksonville. It's Spain and Fitz, Courtney Cronin, filling in for Fitz as we talk to Mike Dempsey of 1010XL in Jacksonville at Jags Camp. You mentioned Urban Meyer and perspective from the team about him. Obviously, there's been some pretty serious missteps and, and miscalculations Um, including trying to hire a strength coach who was just months off being removed for racial issues um, at at the collegiate level. Um, The Tebow thing that certainly uh, there's a lot of differing opinions on. If you take the big picture view, how has this first couple months as an NFL coach gone for him? And whether it's fans or members of the team, what is the perspective on Urban Meyer as an NFL coach? I think he's made some mistakes, clearly, but I don't put them all in the same category. The Chris Doyle thing was one thing, and that was like, what are you thinking here? Like, how did you not understand what the reaction was going to be to that guy? That's in one category. And fortunately for him and the team, that got rectified after one day. The Tebow thing, at least, I think this teammates, again, they respect how hard Tebow works. He's in great shape. I mean, I wish I was in that kind of shape at any point in my life, but... At the, and so, you know, again, I don't think he's going to earn a spot on the 53. Uh, there are usually a few guys on a 90-man roster that are getting an opportunity that maybe shouldn't have or wouldn't have in another circumstance. So I don't put that in the same category. I think, you know, at least just listening to the players, Urban Meyer has a lot of little catchphrases like own it and plus two. Like don't settle for what I ask you to do. Do plus two. Don't just do plus one. Do plus two. And it's, you know, kind of you can describe them as kind of collegiate psychological games, but you'd be shocked at how many times when these guys do press conferences after practice, which is the main way we've had them because there's still not that one-on-one interview opportunity with COVID going on, that they just repeat these things back. Yeah, we're doing this. So they seemingly are buying in 
to what he's preaching, and he does have a track record of winning, and this team has been so rotten for most of the last 12 years that I think the, the holdovers are willing to give him a chance, and I think the others are saying, hey, at least he has the pedigree of a championship coach. Uh, if he proves not to be able to handle it at this level, that will you know suss itself out, but I think for now the team is at least buying in, giving that chance, and saying, hey, this is a guy that's led teams to championships. It can't mm-hmm. be worse than what we've had here recently. Hope some of those winning ways rub off on him. Hey, we got to let you go, but I need a season prediction. There will be a, a winner of something. We're not sure yet for the guy or gal who best predicts their team's season record this far in advance. I'll, I'll take a 5-12, and 12, unfortunately, and that, that may Bye. be optimistic after Saturday night. <laughs> Thanks for the time, Mike. Appreciate it. Thanks, ladies. Mike Dempsey taking us camping with the Jags. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Drivers who save with Progressive save over $700 on average. Coming up, a gold medal winner stops by Spain and Fitz. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Joining us now on the Goodyear Hotline, gold medalist in beach volleyball at the Tokyo Olympics, April Ross with her partner, Alex Kleinman. You know them as the A-team. First of all, April, I love this story of sort of the long play of choosing a player that was new to beach or maybe still just an indoor. You'll have to clarify that in Alex and saying a couple years from now, she's going to be right where I need her to be for Tokyo. Can you talk about that? Because choosing a partner in beach is a huge part of it. Yeah, I mean, I've had a lot of time to reflect since the games. And uh, since then, I don't think I realized in the moment, like how big this actual goal of getting gold was to me but it was really motivating and kind of a huge thing for my career I wanted I wanted the gold medal and so I think that underlying just drive when I was looking for a partner I couldn't choose just somebody I thought maybe I could do okay with and maybe they had some points and we could get right into the main draw and you know it's a little bit easier of a path right away I think I just really knew what I wanted to do and I needed a partner that I felt like I could do that with. And um, yeah, I think Alex was just the best choice, not in the, you know, right then because she had zero points and it put us at the very bottom of the totem pole and we had to do country quotas and qualifiers and it could have been a really tough road for us. It ended up being fine, but um, yeah, I just, you know, I looked at her potential and I'm so (laughs) I'm I'm not surprised that she's as good as she is now, but um, it was a, it was a small risk, which sounds like ridiculous to say now. now. You've just capped off your third Olympics. You won silver back in 2012 with Jen Kessie, and then a bronze with Kerry Walsh Jennings in 2016. What did working with those two in the previous Olympics do to help you prepare for working with Alex and, and maybe you know solidifying that bond before you ended up getting over to Tokyo? Yeah, I mean, I learned so much from Jen and Carrie, and, you know, our journeys together were super special and very proud of the medals that we won together. And, um, yeah, this is my first time being the veteran player with Alex, and I really drew on, you know, the really positive things that both Jen and Carrie did for me as someone that had more to learn than them on the court and um, tried to put that in practice with Alex. Uh, I, so I also feel like Alex was so on it and um, was able to figure things out on her own. I, I didn't feel like I had to do a ton, but I did try to, you know, step in and help her here and there without, without trying to be a coach or come off as um, I know more than you. Um, I just really wanted to help her become as good as she could be. And um 
yeah, I had great mentors in helping me figure out how to do that in Jen and Carrie. April Ross is with us, gold medalist in beach volleyball at the Tokyo Olympics, has the trifecta now, bronze, silver, and gold. I loved watching you guys play together, in part because as the elder stateswoman, you're the one running around getting every single ball while she's blocking up front, which is just so incredible after all these years. What are you guys saying to each other during all of those hugs? What What's happening? You guys hug a lot. <laughs> the main thing, at least in Tokyo, that we were saying is, just breathe. Just let's catch our <laughs> breath. Hold on for one more second. Um, just trying to help each other recover before we had to go back and serve the next ball and start again. But I think just helping each other out however we need and um, just seriously very quickly debriefing the last point and, you know, who do you want to serve and what play do you like? If we can get all that information in, we'll do it during the hug. But for the most part, it was just breathe. <laughs> Did this Olympic run feel any differently for you uh, in previous years with those early rounds? Honestly, no. I mean, the biggest difference was, um, you know, obviously not having any fans. But I felt like once we got on the court, we knew what we were playing for. And the intensity was there and the pressure was there. And it really felt just the same as the other Olympics. There was as much on the line. Um, I was definitely... The nerves were there. I, I felt it all. So to me, it felt very similar. That's kind of fascinating. I'm always curious when you've done it before and not gotten gold, whether there's like a, a certain buzz the entire time throughout, like, oh, this is it. Or if it feels the same right up into that moment when, you know, you can't get to that last ball and the match is over. And now I'm playing for silver and bronze. Right. Uh, <laughs> I, I guess um, you've been there enough times to say it, it, it feels the same right until that last bit. We're talking to April Ross, who won beach volleyball gold in Tokyo with Alex Kleinman. I hate to harp on the age, but I've, I've known you for a while, April. You've done a lot of ESPNW <laughs> stuff, and we're on the Gatorade board together. And I love any time I could see a pro athlete that's like my age who's crushing it and dominating. So what's the secret? We saw Dahlhauser and Gibb both retire after being eliminated from this tournament. They're four-time Olympians as well. You've already said you're headed to Paris 2024. So how are you in the sport this long and still going? Yeah, it's so funny because... Nobody made a big issue about the age at all, like the whole tournament. No one asked me about it. And then afterwards, I started thinking about it. And I'm like, it's kind of insane even to me. Like, at 39, I finally got my gold medal. Like, yeah. um, I had to go back and be like, am I the oldest beach volleyball medalist? And some and Emmanuel beat me by two months. But um, <laughs> I'm really proud of being able to say that I did this at 39. And somebody asked me, you know, if you could have a video game character, if you had to choose of yourself, a video game character between you at London, you at Rio, and you in um, Tokyo, who would you choose? And I'm like, Tokyo, for sure. Just because in the sport of beach volleyball, experience and knowledge counts for so much. And you know, obviously, you have to have the physical component as, uh, also. But I just do, I don't know, I think the secret is weightlifting. Like, I weightlift four times a week, super heavy. I'm always trying to push the weight. And I just feel like the really supports all my joints and keeps me physically healthy and, and able to keep charging it as hard as I want on the court. What helped you get through that extra year that you had to wait in between, you know, where we thought Olympics were going to be in 2020, but then they get postponed because of the coronavirus. How do you get through the grind of another year of workouts instead of saying, okay, I'm just not going to do it this year? I think just accepting that that's the reality, like not fighting it, not getting anxious about it, just kind of 
when that happened, I took a step back and I'm like, okay, this is a break. You know, I'm not going to be super hard on myself or panic about it. I, you know, did what I could. I set up a gym in my garage and worked out really hard and and stayed on that listing that I was talking about. Um, And then, I don't know, I just did all those challenges going around on social media and kind of bought into all of that and spent a lot of time with my family, kind of filled my cup. I thought I, you know, I felt like I was filling my cup just um, emotionally. And that, that helped me once we got back to the grind and I just felt like I was ready to go again because I completely took a break and like I said before like I think that that goal of getting the gold was just such a big deal to me it was so easy to keep that motivation for the extra year. Spain and Fitz, Courtney Cronin filling in for Fitz. And April Ross finally got that gold. I think I saw you say, asking for a friend, how long can you keep celebrating your gold medal? I say forever. I think oh, yeah. I think it is appropriate forever. I think you should wear it full time. I know it's heavy, uh, might be dangerous, uh, but I, I, I'm with you on the long time <laughs> celebration forever and ever. Congratulations and thanks so much for giving us a little bit of time. Of course. Thank you guys so much for having me. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Some ups and downs for Trey Lance. Focus still on Jimmy G to lead the way right now for the 49ers. But what are they saying after that preseason debut for Lance at Spain and Fitz? Sarah Spain, Courtney Cronin filling in for Jason Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Joining us now on the Goodyear Hotline, Nick Wagner, ESPN 49ers reporter. Let's go camping with the Niners. Hello, mother. Hello, father. Here I am at Camp Granada. Camp is very entertaining. Let's go camping with Spain and Fitz. All right, Nick, let's start with what everybody's really talking about after they debut. The uh, the Trey Lance bomb, but also uh, some, some ways he could improve, let's say. What did you make of what we saw from the rookie? Yeah, what was interesting, Sarah, was Trey Lance's first preseason game was really a continuation of what we had seen from him all of camp, which is you get the real tantalizing glimpses of the talent, what he can do, the arm strength, pushing the ball down the field, uh, his athleticism, rolling out of the pocket, making plays that way. Uh, but then you see some of the things that are the rookie mistakes and also some of the things that were kind of questions about him, uh, missing high on some of his passes. Uh, maybe not getting to a progression as, as quickly as they would like or getting to the right guy and getting rid of the ball uh, quickly enough. He took four sacks in that game. And some of that also not his fault. He's behind a second-team offensive line for most of his 29 snaps. And that's something that in camp has also been an issue and, and I think has made it a little bit harder to get a fair evaluation of him because he hasn't had a ton of clean pockets. Obviously, that's going to happen in games, but maybe not to that extent. So really a continuation of what you've seen, but I, I think – what you're really looking at right now is this week is very critical if he's going to actually apply genuine pressure on Jimmy Garoppolo to, to make a run for that starting job for week one. It's going to probably have to happen starting this week because they go to L.A. Uh, they leave tomorrow, actually. They have joint practices with the Chargers on Thursday and Friday and in that second preseason game against the Chargers on Sunday. So uh, a big benchmark kind of in his development and where this thing's going to go from here starting this week. Big picture-wise, Nick, I think that quarterbacks in the NFL have like one of the weirdest job responsibilities when you're the incumbent. 
like a Jimmy Garoppolo that when the mm-hmm. new guy is drafted, you're apparently supposed to bring him up to speed. It almost kind of feels like this <laughs> rite of passage thing, which is weird because it's like, oh, they drafted somebody to replace me. Now I have to help him do that. How has Garoppolo handled this throughout training camp and even before that, dating back to the preseason after he found out who his new to- new teammate was going to be? Yeah, Cordy, I think from what we're able to see, he's handling it about as well as can be. Uh, You know, obviously behind the scenes, we don't have as much access to that. But the people I talk to and from my understanding from talking to both Trey and Jimmy, it's been very organic. And they've just kind of let it grow. And Jimmy Garoppolo talked about that from the beginning. Like, hey, you can't force this. I can't just come in and say, okay, we're best buddies from day one. But we both kind of understand what the situation is. And I think Jimmy does understand that. Hey, Trey Lance didn't ask to be thrown into this situation, so you can't take it out on him. And I spent some time over the summer catching up with quarterbacks who have been in kind of both positions. I talked to Alex Smith, who, you know, we went through it with the Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes. Doug Flutie uh, went back to him, Joe Theismann, those guys. And one of the things they, they all talked about was how in training camp you don't have time because you're so inundated with stuff going on, whether it's installs or walkthroughs, practice, whatever it is. You don't have time to sit there and hold somebody's hand. But once you get to the season, you get through that part, you can calm down. Now, of course, you're going to be answering questions and things like that from the young quarterback during that time. But you really have to kind of focus on yourself and take that time to be selfish during camp. And then when camp is over, you can be more team-focused and try to grow those things out. So I think that's going to be where the dynamic gets really interesting is is when they get into the season and, you know, say Jimmy has a bad game or say Trey comes in and, in a certain package and has a really, you know, nice series and puts a touchdown on the board and that kind of outside stuff starts ramping up, how they handle it then, I think that's going to be a little bit bigger test than what we've seen so far. It's Bain and Fitz, Courtney Cronin filling in for Fitz tonight. We're talking to Nick Wagner, ESPN 49ers reporter. What is the other, you know, we're all focused so much on the quarterbacks there, but this is a team with very high expectations. What's the other focus here in camp that they're saying, you know, we need to improve in this spot if we want to get back to where we want to be? Yeah, I I hate to say this because this is true for all the 31 other teams there, but it's injuries, Uh, you know, and, and the guys coming back from injury more than anything and trying to integrate them back into the mix because, it was really just debilitating last year. And I think even on your show, we talked about it a couple of times last year, Sarah, where the Niners were just so banged up. There was yeah. just, they never really had a chance. They had at one point over $80 million in salary cap space on injured reserve last year. So mm-hmm. uh, a lot of that is, is getting those key guys back and keeping them healthy. And so Nick Bosa is a good example. Uh, you know, one of their two or three most important players on the team, and they've really kind of brought him along slowly. He's been participating in practice but only in individual drills. So next week, the hope is to start getting him into some team drills and ramping him up a little bit to get him to the season. Uh, they had 22 guys the other night that they kept out, mostly starters. So George Kittle and, and, and obviously Bosa, D Ford, uh, Trent Williams, all these guys that they're, they're really trying to make sure that they get to the season as healthy as can be. And some of that's luck, of course, but they're trying to do whatever they can to take it into their own hands, at least as much as one can in a sport where, where injuries are bound to happen. A couple weeks ago, Kyle Shanahan did say that the 49ers will run plays for Trey Lance. And we mm-hmm. know that Jimmy Garoppolo is 
going to start this season. We don't know how long it's going to take for that transition of power to happen. But since we didn't get to truly see what that would look like in the preseason game because he got ample reps uh, there in the second quarter and, and third quarter before he got pulled, what has that looked like in practice? Are there certain goal line packages that you're seeing Trey Lance in, red zone? Is there a certain area of focus where they think he can affect the offense most greatly? It's, it's really interesting, Courtney, because when you watch practice, it's watching two quarterbacks running the same offense, but they look like different offenses, if that makes sense. Because a lot of the stuff that you do with Trey Lance, you just can't do with Jimmy Garoppolo. And I'm talking about read option stuff, uh, RPO, some of the stuff that you wouldn't do because Jimmy Garoppolo is simply not a threat to run the ball. So, you know, they'll run the same play. Just to give you an example, they'll run the same play with Jimmy Garoppolo and Trey Lance where Jimmy Garoppolo will go under center and he'll run it out of a basic eye formation. And then they'll go and they'll run it with uh, the same play with Trey Lance, but it'll be out of an offset pistol formation with, with a fullback next to him. Stuff like that that, you know, you wouldn't see because – Jimmy Garoppolo is simply not a threat to run the ball. So it is fascinating to see how they're kind of implementing that. When you've seen Trey Lance in there with the first-team offense, which I think to this point has been like four or five snaps total, it's been designed runs only. So I think you can get an idea of what some of their plan is when they try to sprinkle him in. And I compare it to Taysom Hill, what they did with him and Drew Brees in New Orleans, but not not necessarily that, oh, they're going to split Trey Lance out wide at receiver. They're not going to do stuff like that. But Trey Lance obviously brings a little bit better throwing dynamic, a lot better throwing dynamic than probably what Taysom Hill does. So they're going to have some options. I think they'll probably keep adding on to that as we get closer to the season. But for right now, all we're seeing is just a lot of the you know stuff that you would expect, zone read stuff uh, that's going to get Trey Lance the ball in his hands and the defense is going to have to defend all 11 players. Nick, we got to let you go. I have two very quick ones for you. I heard the uh, Raiders letting go of Maurice Hurst looking like organizational malpractice after seeing him. Do you agree with that take after seeing him working with the Niners? I can't imagine who said that to you, Sarah, but uh, <laughs> I, 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 he, he looks pretty good. He does. He looks pretty good. I, I understood more why they released Arden Key than Maurice Hurst, but I think Hurst has a good shot to, to make the roster and uh, be a, a valuable guy maybe on third down and, and pass rushing packages particularly. All right, on your way out, we need a prediction. There will be a prize. We don't know what it is yet, but uh, one of y'all is going to be closest to what your team actually finishes. So a way too early season record prediction. Boy, well, let's make sure I acknowledge that it's 17 games right, first. Very important. To get the math right in my head. <laughs> yeah, right. I'll automatically disqualify myself. I wouldn't put myself past that. Uh, let's go 11 and 6. That's where All I'm right. going to go for now. All right, that the adds best, up to 17. best record okay, estimation yeah. that, of any team thus far. Right off the bat. Yeah, there you go. Good, <laughs> good math. Uh, Nick, thanks for the time. Appreciate it. All right, thank you. Take care. Nick Wagner with us here covering the 49ers as we go to camp with him. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Drivers who save with Progressive save over $700 on average. Call or click today and find out if they can save you hundreds on your car insurance. Coming up, it's the long-awaited return of our favorite NFL season segment. Good take. Or hot take next. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Mondays of the football season, and this counts, even if it's preseason, it's still the football season. On Mondays of the football season, we do something we call good take or hot take. Time to cut through the BS and rate the best takes of the day. Are they good takes? He would be the best quarterback in the history of New York to land here. Or hot takes. Hot takes. Give the damn ball and let him decide. But that's not the green way, White. Find out now on Spain and Fitz. 
That's right, Courtney. You know how this works. We play some sound from some of our favorite folks and try to discuss whether we think they're right in the take they're making or getting a little too hot. Like maybe the take that you had when you gave us the rundown of the Viking season from camp and you predicted that they were going to finish 10 and 7. I heard you walk that that back back while I was gone. I did. I tried to pull a fast one on you, but you have just informed me that I am not allowed to do that. So you no take back. Yeah, you can walk it back. Yeah, you can you can walk it back. You could say you don't you don't believe that anymore. Unfortunately, that's the one that goes in the books. So uh, you never know. Uh, we got months to find out if you win the big prize. Uh, let's get into some good take, hot take. You heard the sound of Justin Fields there, and and Joniak excited about him uh, making that first rushing touchdown and. You know, a lot of folks talking about his take, Justin Fields, that is, saying things were slower than he maybe thought. It wasn't too fast for him in his first pro game. Peanut Tillman, former Bears cornerback, was on Sunday morning and reacted to Fields' comment about the speed of the game. I think you, you, you put a small target on your back because when the regular season starts, the game does speed up. And, you know, kudos to him for thinking that he's pre- well, thinking that he's prepared. I, I, I get it. I don't mind a, a young rookie having confidence. But at the same time, you, you didn't start the game. You kind of went in in the, second, in the second quarter. I'm sure maybe the Dolphins might have taken some of their starters out. Uh, I'll just say the game does get faster. Be careful what you wish for. The game does get faster. But, again, just young growing, learning. I think I think he'll learn how fast the game is real slow. All right. Target on his back, but walked it back a little bit at the end there. Said he's got room to grow. Good take or hot take? I think it's a good take. He good. I think that was very rational, what he said, because let's, let's look at a Justin Fields versus somebody who, like a Kellen Mond here in Minnesota, for example. Like, there's a big difference in rookie quarterback who is ready to play this year versus someone who's not. It's not like Justin Fields needs half-field reads, like, and is already having predetermined – he's predetermining where he's going with the ball before it's snapped. Like, speed of the game, that will affect that. So I think that that's something that he's ahead of the curve on. But, you know, you have to keep it in perspective. Who was he playing against? Mm-hmm. on Saturday like was it the ones was it the twos probably more of a mix of the twos and the threes so I think that Peanuts take on that was where it needs to be that we're not buying in and saying oh wow Justin Fields just reinvented quarterbacking at the rookie level he's going to succeed without question but I do think that you know the comments that he made about the speed of the game were just more a, fat, a way to say, hey, I was confident out there. I didn't feel gun shy. I didn't feel like I was moving, you know, in slow motion or that stuff was moving too fast for me. Spain and Fitz here. Spain, Courtney Cronin filling in for Fitz. I'm going to say good take as well. Hey, good. Yeah, I agree with everything you said there. And I think to your point, not just confidence, but also we talked about it earlier, a little hat tip to the defense of the Bears that has him working in camp every single day, making him understand the speed of the game, even if it's not an official preseason game or a regular season game. I do think Peanut's right. The next team that plays them is certainly going to show him how fast it can be. And if he ends up being the starter, which I still don't think is the case week one, Aaron Donald and the Rams will be happy to show him how fast it can be. But I think Peanut Tillman had the right balance of, yeah, be careful, kiddo, but also not a big deal. Let's focus on what he did do. 16, um, sorry, 14 of 20 passing, 106.7 passer rating, five rushes, 33 yards, a touchdown in the air, touchdown with his legs. You love to see it. So, um, 
Uh, I- I'm good with what Peanut said there. <laughs> Moving on in good take or hot take, Mike Tannenbaum, our ESPN NFL front office insider, was on KJNZ talking about whether Urban Meyer should take into account the Jags' poor O-line performance when picking his starter. Jacksonville's offensive line was really poor. So we're talking about the development of all these young quarterbacks. How about the development of Urban Meyer? Does he learn anything from Zach Taylor a year ago? Puts Joe Burrow in behind a bad offensive line. Myself, Rex Ryan said, hey, Joe Burrow has a really good chance of getting hurt. Tears his ACL. The way Jacksonville's offensive line played, when you look at it, they gave up four sacks, eight pressures. Do they either A, start guard Minshew, mm. I think unlikely, or more fundamentally, guys, do they change their approach? Do they say to Daryl Bevel, Brian Schottenheimer, hey, we have to be balanced because we can't let Trevor Lawrence get hurt. And if I'm Urban Meyer, I'm not at Ohio State anymore. I'm not walking down there with five blue chip offensive linemen. All right, Courtney, good take or hot take? Good take. Hey, good. I think that. This is the first year for Urban Meyer. We know what his contract is. We know that they just drafted who they believe will be their franchise quarterback. You don't if you're if you're that concerned about putting him behind the offensive line that you have and you're thinking about what that offensive line looks a year from now or even like by mid-season. Let's say there's some personnel changes what have you. Get it to a point where you're comfortable so you don't have him going through what Joe Burrow did last year yeah. and wondering if he's going to come back the same guy. I think this is not, you know, we talk about the long the long game here and the development. We know Jacksonville's still in the midst of a rebuild. They're not a team like the Chicago Bears that has to either keep your coaching staff and your front office employed so you're trying to play Justin Fields at the right moment and have to get that right. I think you can slow play this one, and if you are that concerned about the pass protection – don't chance it. I'm going to go good take as well. Hey, good. We just talked to Mike Dempsey about this. He seemed not to believe that there was any chance that Lawrence would start. But I, he also mentioned this is a this is a O-line that has been together before. And so how much development and gelling and, and how much better do we think they can be? Maybe not as much as if it was pieced together or newer. And so with that in mind, you do have to wonder if, you know, you, you feel comfortable putting Trevor Lawrence out there and running the risk. So I think it's a good take to really consider that, to your point. This is not a team that's going to win anything this year, and this is not a, a coach that needs to save his job. Dominique Foxworth on, on Get Up talked about another young quarterback in Trey Lance. If you came to the conclusion that you need someone who can elevate your offense to win a Super Bowl, then they need to get that guy up to speed. And you know what he's not going to get when the season starts is any reps. The starting quarterback gets all the reps during regular season. So all this stuff about getting comfortable and getting better, that happens now, but it's not going to happen in the regular season unless he is QB1. And that's why I think he needs to be QB1. The sooner you can get him to a level where he's comfortable in NFL offenses, the better chance you have of blowing the roof off of this offense and winning a championship because it doesn't appear that they're going to be able to do that with Jimmy Garoppolo. All right, speed take. I'm going to say I can't decide, Courtney, because they are in a window to win now, but I don't think Trey Lance is ready. So I get his point, but I think if Jimmy stays healthy, you have a better shot with him not making the big errors that give the game away. Yeah, I don't want to call it a bad take, but I just think that you have to ride Jimmy Garoppolo as far as he'll get you in the regular season and go week by week with this thing. Yeah, I I think I get where Dom is going there. I'm just I think when your team is in that winner's window and you have a quarterback in Jimmy who is not a slouch, who has gotten you to a Super Bowl before, you don't rush a guy who who definitely looks like he needs a lot more work. Try to get the work in if you can in camp. Coming up, Megan Rapino joins us to talk about Tokyo and what's next for her. Spain and Fitz, the podcast.
friend of the show, one of our all-time faves, a very busy lady stopping by to recap Olympics, look ahead, and we got news of the day for her to get into. What perfect timing to have our friend Megan Rapino back on the show on the Goodyear Hotline. Megan, thanks for the time, first of all. Congratulations on the Olympics. I want to hear from you. Take us inside the room right before the bronze match, or should I say uh, rose gold match, uh, and what you guys were telling each other to get fired up and make sure you came home with the medal. Oh, God. I mean, as you can imagine, um, there was lots of autopsies being done after our semifinal <laughs> match. But basically, it was just like, I mean, honestly, you got like, we don't know what's going to be the magic bullet here. Like, there's no, you know, perfect potion. Like, we just have one more game. So we give you, they're going to go out celebrating and go out with a win and get this bronze. Or we just kind of, like, leave really sad. I think, honestly, that motivated people (laughs) a lot. And, you know, on a serious note, obviously, it's like you have, you know, a medal on the line. You have something to play for Um, and not just pride. You have you have something to actually win in the Olympics, Um, you know, knowing how how difficult an Olympics it was and the year postponement and all of that. um, That was really all the motivation we needed. At this point of your career, realizing when you leave Tokyo, how many more Olympics you may or may not have left, how do you kind of surmise how you felt leaving Tokyo just knowing what's left for you in your career and also where that the Olympics fall in that I think just you know for me just to not take anything for granted I've been you know a part of a lot of championship runs Um, a few of them have ended uh, on top a few of them haven't but just realizing how special all of them are for a lot of different reasons and of course you always want to win that's always the goal it's always better when you do win uh, let's not get it twisted, but, um, you know, the, the journey is fun. The journey is what you remember all the little inside jokes. And, um, you know, I think especially in a year like this and coming off 2020, just realizing, you know, yes, it was very different. And, you know, from an athlete's perspective, um, I wouldn't say it was the, the most enjoyable Olympics, but honestly, just <laughs> being able to compete and being there and being able to represent your country, uh, which we're so proud to do and being able to, you know, have a chance to win a medal, like that's just, you know, the best thing. We could all be, you know, sitting at home just watching the Olympics. So for me, it's all about just enjoying every moment. I mean, whether we win or lose, we're still doing something that, you know, barely anyone in the whole world ever gets to do. And to me, that's really special. Yeah, it's kind of remarkable how much we can see the Olympic dream in the people who will never touch a medal. But once we have these expectations that gold is the only thing, we forget what an incredible accomplishment it is to go to the Olympics, to win a medal, to win with your friends and get to do this for a living. It's really incredible. Megan Rapinoe is with us here on Spain and Fitz. Courtney Cronin filling in for Fitz tonight. Uh, Let's talk about one of your counterparts on the U.S. Women's National Team, Carly Lloyd. There were a lot of questions about both of you as the tournament was coming to an end. She has announced her retirement uh, first, what stands out to you about her incredible career? Oh, my God, just how long it's been. Um, <laughs> I mean, I feel like people just think like, oh, yeah, you you know, play as long as you can. And that's amazing. You want to play forever. And it's like, no, it's actually really hard to do that. <laughs> that's why there's so few athletes that, you know, play to her, her age or play as long as she has. And, you know, obviously with that, you know, it's not just about staying healthy and, you know, being able to physically be there, which is difficult in and of itself. It's about just continually growing and, and making sure that your game is evolving. And, you know, for me, just the fact that she ended her career with, you know, an incredible brace and in a, in a medal match 
um, at the Olympics, just says it all. That's that's the person Carly is. She was productive forever. She has so many appearances. She has so many goals, um, you know, so many memorable goals, too. It's all, like, you know, good and well to score, you know, five goals a game against, you know, teams that don't really matter. But I think I think uh, Aaron Heifetz, our, uh, you know, media relations guy, said that every medal match Carly played in, she scored a goal. And to me, like, that's great. <laughs> yeah, unbelievable. Like, showing up in the biggest moments, that's what you want from your best players. Carly Lloyd became the U.S. women's national team's all-time leading Olympic gold scorer and second most capped player in the Tokyo Olympics. And I remember watching uh, after the loss to Canada, there was a moment where you're being interviewed and I think you were asked about Carly and you were kind of getting choked up on there. And she's in the background of this video running suicides. Um, (laughs) Is there any better way to kind of encapsulate her work ethic, what she's like on the field and just what her career will mean to you when it's all said and done? Well, as we all know from her social media, she loves a good run. Uh, (laughs) You won't catch me doing sprints like that after a game, but um, it really is. I mean, her whole, I think, ethos in in her career is just leave it all out there. Leave no no stone unturned. Don't have any regrets. Um, She says it all the time, empty the tank. Like, that's that's what she's all about. like I said, I mean, I, I personally don't like doing sprints like that. I'm going <laughs> to empty the tank in other ways. Um, but, no, it, it's incredible. Just that's, you know, she has stuck to being who she was um, this entire time. And, you know, her her whole philosophy, I think, has really driven her game so far and allowed herself to evolve over all these years. Yeah, the work ethic is undeniable for sure. <laughs> For Carly Lloyd. All right, let's talk Megan Rapino again. Megan Rapinoe is with us here on Spaded Fits. That's the big news of the day. But, of course, even though you're a couple years younger and you've got a whole different story to tell, it has everyone asking about your future, both NWSL and international play. So let's start with the first. When are you heading back to play with the rain? And do you have your sights set on Paris and otherwise? Yeah, I'll be back with the rain uh, training this week. It was nice. We got um, a little bit of a break, um, went and saw some family and just chilled out in, uh, Seattle with Sue. So that was nice to, you know, not fully reset because I need a little, I need like two months to reset, but, um, just to get a little time was nice. So I'll be back in training this week, um, and, and get myself back ready just in terms of like my whole career. I mean, I don't really know yet. I need to take a little time to think about it. Um, you know, they always say like, Oh, you'll know when you know, but you know, they don't, re- that's not really like that. Because you can kind of keep going and, uh, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, you've accomplished so much. You'll be fine stepping away. But it, the the conversation is always anguished in your mind, I feel like. Or people just don't think about it. There's there's a couple ways to go about it. So <laughs> I've been thinking about it a lot. I'm open to suggestions. I feel like I should do like a, a pros and like a public pros and cons. Um, oh, I'll Lord. bet who can get not in there because with, not, I was going to say not with everybody. Yeah, no, oh no, 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 it's never with everyone. Yeah, going to be quite a few mute buttons on that. But uh, maybe a public pro and con uh, would be uh, <laughs> would be a helpful helpful tool. It's Spain and Fitz, Courtney Cronin filling in for Fitz tonight. We're talking to Megan Rapino, winner of rose gold in Tokyo, along with the U.S. Women's National Team. Uh, you know, I wanted to ask you about this this uh, uh, recent conversation that's come up again in the NWSL and it happened earlier in the season and maybe even another time in the middle but um Quinn who's the first non-binary soccer player to win a medal at the Olympics is on the OL reign with you and um throughout various telecasts there has been um the wrong pronouns used for Quinn 
And I know that you are so eloquent and thoughtful on these issues and you understand for some people it's a learning process. But at the same time, there should be such a dedication to the media representation um, and getting it right, whether that's stats and facts or something as important as somebody's identity. When you see that happen or when you hear about it happening, um, I don't know. And I don't know if you if you talk to Quinn about it, but um, what do they think or what do you think um, about that being something that still hasn't quite gotten right? I mean, I understand the the learning process and I understand, um, you know, mistakes are are going to be made. And honestly, only each individual knows how much effort they're putting towards properly gendering and properly pronouncing people. But it's also just kind of like, it's not that difficult. I just don't think it's that difficult. Like, even if I, you know, slip up and say the wrong pronoun, immediately I know that I said it. So you just go, oh, my bad. Like, you just say they or you just, you know, whatever the pronouns that you want to use. You just immediately sort of do it. I, I just feel like, yeah, if you put no effort towards it, no, you're going to keep making mistakes. But I just feel like it's kind of one of those things. I mean, I think over the weekend that happened, they did a feature on Quinn and like mispronounced them the whole time. And I'm like, you're doing a feature about right, it's Quinn scripted being out, the first right. trans athlete. Yeah. <laughs> like, come on. Like it, it does take effort. I, I will say it, like it takes concerted effort, but also like we pick up different words and slang and new sayings and this and that, like all the time. So it's just a matter of us actually wanting to do it and also holding people accountable. Uh, there was actually a, a journalist in the mix zone, um, that misgendered Quinn to me. And I just corrected them right there. It's just like, you know, not to pat myself on the back, but it's like, yeah, if you're an ally or you want to be, um, you know, someone who's who's committed to making sure that people can just live out and live proud and live exactly who they are, like we're all part of it as well. So someone was in the booth with that person who was doing it. They can, you know, just put a hand on their arm and say, hey, like you're, you know, you're really messing up right now or, you know, the producers or whatever it is. But I, I just honestly like, I understand there's a, a, a growth process and I think everybody's here for that. But like, it's kind of also obvious when you're not putting any effort towards it and you just keep making the same, same mistakes over and over and over again. A couple of days after you won your medal in Tokyo, you had a chance to watch Sue, your fiance, win gold with the women's national basketball team. What was that like? I'm curious, like what conversations you two might have before these big games and, and matches, um, you know, piping each other up. Can you give us kind of a look into that? Oh, God. Well, first of all, I felt so lucky and so thankful that I was, you know, able to go and we were able to make that work and do it in a in a safe manner. Um, I mean, to you know, obviously with COVID and everything in a normal year, of course, I would have, you know, stayed and, you know, spent the time with her friends and family that were there. Um, but it was just amazing to be able to do that, you know, during during the Olympics where things were really restricted. So I feel grateful for that. I mean, in terms of each other's games, it's pretty. I mean, we obviously talk about, you know, everything all the time, but it's kind of just like good luck and have fun. Like, just <laughs> do your thing. There's nothing I can tell you that that's going to be like you know, mind blowing. Um, I just always, you know, tell her to enjoy herself, just be herself. Um, and that's all she really needs to do. I mean, you know, she has the basketball part on lock. I just need to do the, the good wife cheering. Yeah, you guys alternate those roles quite well. Uh, Megan Rapino with us here on Spain and Fitz. She has a new book club called The Call-In. Go check that out, Toronto Burke's book uh, is the uh, first book in the book club. And of course, you can find her all over social media doing incredible things. Megan, thanks so much for the time. We always love chatting with you. 
No worries. Thanks for having me on. Until next time. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Sarah Spain, Courtney Cronin hanging out on a Monday. Cronin filling in for Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80, Spain and Fitz. Don't forget to download the Overheard podcast for curiously delightful conversations overheard around National Geographic's headquarters, presented by the City Advantage Platinum Select card, the card built for your next adventure. I can't believe we've talked all this NFL tonight, tons of NFL talk, and I haven't even asked Courtney, who is our Vikings specialist, how the first preseason game went for them. So, Courtney, you have the floor. Yeah, well, I'm just going to hand this off to Mike Zimmer. He's going to tell you or sum it up in in this. Uh, I told them it was a, a very poor performance. We're going to scrimmage next week with this same bunch because we didn't tackle well. That we didn't, made the wrong checks on uh, defense with the safeties. Uh, we throw an interception for a touchdown. Um, we go three and out the first two series. Terrible punts. So other than that, it's been great. <laughs> That that last bit. Lincoln, how was the play? Yeah, we're saving that last bit on the show for sure. That's going to come in handy. Other than that. Other than that, it's been great. Yeah. (laughs) It wasn't pretty. They sat 31 starters, which they actually weren't even the team that had the most. I believe the Rams sat 38. So it's not like you can solely blame the loss on not having a third of your roster available. But nonetheless, it was it was ugly and it was bad. Um and they were, you know, overmatched because they were playing a lot of Denver starters. Yeah. That whole not playing your starters for the preseason worked out really great for Matt Nagy and the Bears a couple years ago. So good plan. Good plan. Other than that, it's been great. <laughs> All right. Let's let's talk about the Packers. Um, I have seen very few people who believe that Aaron Rodgers will be back with the Packers after this season. It felt like there was a coming together for this season alone and that everything is set up for the Packers to want to say goodbye and for him to want to leave. That might be a little more difficult with the news that Jordan Love may have to miss some time. Here's Dan Graziano, ESPN NFL insider on KJNZ. He needs to play in this preseason so the Packers have this data about how he played in preseason games as part of their evaluation process next offseason. We we think it's likely Aaron Rodgers will be gone, so they have to figure out what they have in Jordan Love. There were no preseason games last year. If he has to miss these last two, then they only have one game in two years to evaluate, plus practice time, etc. But um, they, they would like him to play if possible. Courtney, no preseason games last year because of COVID. He didn't suit up for a single game, not a single pass during the regular season. So this long-awaited debut in preseason game number one, pretty good, 12 of 17, 112 yards, had a 22-yard touchdown pass. Uh, But that shoulder got dinged up. He took a second-quarter sack and was his final play of the night. They had hoped to give him three quarters, but they took him out after that. And now, according to reports, he's feeling better but didn't practice today. That's not enough to see if you anticipate Aaron Rodgers playing the entire season and then knowing what to do after that. No, and I do think that they want to – they need a much bigger sample size than what they have with Jordan Love. So you want to get him healthy. You also don't want to push him into a situation that might get him more hurt. So they're crossing their fingers. But then again, I think the spot that Jordan Love's in now compared to where he was last year where he wasn't even suiting up for games, at least we know he's going to suit up for games right. this year as the backup. He wasn't even the backup last year. Yeah, you look into their schedule, you try to figure out, is there a game on their schedule where they might be able to get ahead and then insert him down the stretch to get a look? 
And honestly, Courtney, with the NFL, I, th- I feel like preseason, it's too hard to say, right? There's there's yeah. some teams that you think are going to be pretty bad, but you just never know if they're going to be bad enough for them to pile on the lead and give love sometimes. So will be interesting to keep an eye on his development, how that shoulder comes around, if they get a chance to see some more of him before Aaron Rodgers takes over for good. It's Spain and Fitz, Courtney Cronin filling in for Fitz. Um, in the meantime, questions at the quarterback position for the Saints as well. He's not quite Zimmer, but he's pretty close. Here's Sean Payton on how things went for Jameis Winston and Taysom Hill. I'm not making any comparisons with the quarterbacks right now. It doesn't matter who really with six turnovers, right? Other than that, it's been great. Yeah, yeah. Not a lot of clarity in a game where you got six turnovers. Uh, You'll be surprised and shocked to hear that Jameis Winston threw a turnover. I mean, an interception. Shocking. Real shocking. Um, Yeah, it was just a bad, ugly game against the Ravens. No Lamar Jackson. Um, There were six takeaways from that Ravens D. And, Courtney, we're we're still going to have to wait and see on who's going to take the lead in this quarterback battle. Yeah, and there's not much to judge when collectively you turn the ball over six times. So they got a better look at Ian Book than anything else than they did with, (laughs) with their two quarterbacks with, on the roster right now. So, and I, I still think too, like when you're talking about Taysom Hill and what he brings to this offense, I still see him as the gimmicky trick play guy. I don't see him as your full-time starter. Maybe I'm biased. Maybe it's because I've seen the gimmicky stuff before and him getting flanked out wide and, you know, them running plays out of the wildcat with him, what have you. I just can't see it yet, but I'm wondering how long this is going to take because Jameis had a year. Under, under Drew Brees. Mm-hmm. How much more time does he need, or is he still the same guy he was in Tampa? Well, and not having Michael Thomas is huge. When you've got two guys who are trying to take over for a Hall of Fame quarterback, both of them have their limitations. To not have that superstar wide receiver who can bail you out, and with so much friction still between him and Sean Payton and the team, uh, that certainly doesn't make this any easier. It's Spain and Fitz, Courtney Cronin filling in for Fitz. Uh, really quickly, we heard today um, an update uh, from Jane Slater on Dak Prescott. They really want to make sure they get a chance to see him, and they've made that clear publicly, and our own Fowler uh, has said the same. So it, that means that if he doesn't play in a preseason game, Dak probably isn't altogether right, right? Yeah, because they said they want to see him in either one of the second or third preseason games, if he's not playing in either of those, that probably puts week one in question. Yeah, it just feels like um, some some good drama, I guess, for Hard Knocks is going to be us just watching Dak's uh, shoulder instead of that ankle, strangely enough. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.